Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Summer of Travolta on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? Reeling from brand new Travolta. Yes. I mean, brand new Travolta for us, yeah, not for the say, world. Uncharted territory for both you and I visiting this film. Um, I'm confused. I'm tired. I feel worn out. After watching Blowout. I, I took a beating. Yes. It blew out my feelings. Much like Travolta's under eyes and hairline throughout this movie, we took a beating. Um, we are here today to continue the summer of Travolta and look back on Blowout, which was the Brian De Palma film from 1981, I believe. Yes, July 24th, 1981. Uh, Julio and myself were both trying to figure out if we've ever done a movie on the podcast before where neither of us had seen it going in. I'm sure it's happened. I'm just blanking on it at this point. But the thing is... Whenever it happened, I don't think that it was as... We weren't immersed in something as we are with John Travolta. Right, and the stakes were not as high as right now because it it is the summer of Travolta, so we got to get it right. We this, couldn't... Yeah. I, I've always, so far, I've known that even if I, if I faltered, you had my back and vice versa. But this time, it was... We both had to be on, on top of our game. And despite the fact that these uh, previous episodes, Saturday Night Fever, was probably released a week or ten days before this, this was a, a follow-up. We we watched that last night, and we're recording this tonight. So we've had a, a dizzying spell of Travolta over the past 48 hours. Yeah, so once again, a Travolta two-shot. A, two, a double shot, the one-two punch. Um, so this is Contrarian's Corner. We have Blowout, which was rated 87%, or excuse me, is rated 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, holds a ranking of 87%. Here on Contrarian's Corner, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, which has become kind of our battle cry. Yeah, rage against the machine. Tried to contact me earlier. I just didn't return their call. Zach was just like, hey, I think we could do something good here. <laughs> uh, but being that, it was a highly touted movie. It is a Brian De Palma film, so along with that always comes some fanfare and kind words, as he tends to be one of the more overrated directors of the uh, 20th century. 100% agreed, but not these people with their fresh red tomatoes, starting with Mark Dinning from Empire Magazine, who says, a forgotten gem. Chuck O'Leary At least from... he got to the point, unlike the movie. Oh, yeah. No. Straight to the point. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Chuck O'Leary from Fantastica Daily says, a well-crafted Hitchcockian-style thriller with De Palma again in top form. It's a mystery why this fizzled at the box office in the summer of 1981. Uh, I could tell you all the reasons, and we will tell you all the reasons why <laughs> it did. Uh, Michael Zimanski from zaptoit.com says, Travolta shows he has a sense of suspense. Uh? I mean, yeah, 
<laughs> he, he showed that in Battlefield Earth. It just took him about 20 years too late. Uh, film 4 says... There are some neat performances, particularly Travolta's convincing bid to be taken seriously after years of being dismissed as frivolous beefcake. Frivolous beefcake. I mean, they were referring to John Lithgow, correct? Yes. Okay. They misspelled it. That's a typo. <laughs> uh, I mean, the beefcake thing—it's—it's it's on the directors more than Travolta. Uh -huh. It's not his fault that he's attractive. Exactly. And he, he's in there for the part, and you know they just keep rolling when he's changing clothes. Mm -hmm. Eric Henderson from Slant Magazine says, Criterion continues to prefer their De Palma relatively humorless, but there's no denying Blowout's importance in the underrated director's filmography. That's a beef with Criterion. Yeah. He's fond of those De Palma comedies. I was where... about to say, he just pissed me off twice. He buried Criterion and then called De Palma underrated. Who was that? <laughs> that Joe was Jack? <laughs> Eric Henderson from Slam Magazine. I who, think he can go fuck himself. He, he likes his boobs uh, funny, not, not bloody. Exactly. Uh, and finally, Brian Fraser from Film Freak Central says, If cynicism were a superhero franchise, Blowout would be its origin story. Okay. <laughs> okay, Brian. Yeah. Is that the Armin White of his day? Uh, it's like, I'm just going to drop some nonsense with a thumbs up. They'll piece it together for themselves. All right. So Blowout is the story. Of course, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. Jack Terry, John Travolta, the reason we're here for all this. Uh, Jack Terry is a, uh, a sound a sound effects guy on film. A sound man. A as sound he, as man. He, he yeah. defines himself. But he's not like, you know, your boom mic operator or key grip or, you know, he doesn't do the score. He basically just provides... Uh, dub overs, and because he doesn't create the mu music at any point, does he? Uh, no, I'm sure if he did, he would have told us. That's we would have true. seen it because this movie, it's 50% seeing Travolta doing sound stuff. Yeah, just looking at like sound tape and uh, <laughs> close-ups of his face, like listening intently, just the, with the one bead of sweat coming down. The we learn this as the movie opens with a horror film that's being produced for from the studio that John Travolta works for. This all lends itself to. Uh, De Palma's ability to get female breasts within the first 30 seconds of his film, which... Constantly. I was it, about it, to say, if you know much about him, that's a modus operandi on his end. There's the two, the two things that define De Palma, boobs and uh, really long takes. Uh -huh. He has these, these shots that go on forever, moving from one room to another room. Hey, boobs. <laughs> hey, somebody fucking... <laughs> hey, blood. Uh, it's a Brian De Palma movie. The conflict in the, that Jack Terry is facing is that he needs to find a good scream. Uh, an actress he hired uh, to provide the dub over for the scream is just not cutting it. The director says he wants something more, something more terrified, more verbose, you know, what have you. He's so, like, give me, give me the original scream. Don't give me this scream four bullshit. <laughs> easy. Uh, so Travolta goes to the park to gather uh, you know, a new reel of sounds, whatever he can, while he's clearing his head and trying to think about what he's going to do with this whole scream situation. Do you think maybe he was hoping that somebody would scream at just, the park? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just you know, maybe someone will get raped or murdered out here, and I'll be able to record it. It is a De Palma movie, after all. It, yep, exactly. But he picks up, you know, an owl, a frog, some water, this, that, wind, leaves, this, that, and the other. Uh, when from out of nowhere we get uh, what appears to be, uh, or sounds to be rather, a gunshot, and then a car careening off the road into the nearby creek. Uh, Travolta jumps into the creek. He springs into action. Uh, this is where the beefcake comes into play. He didn't rip his shirt off, which he you know probably should have. He didn't need to though. No, I mean it, those clothes get get 
tight in his body as soon as he hits the water. Yeah, these were left over from Saturday Night Fever clothes here. His hair, too. Is this, is this the longest hair travel that we've had? I mean, not counting the ridiculous dreads from Battlefield Earth. I turtle. Um, like real, natural hair. I believe so. It's, He's got it's, that lustrous Chicano hair going on in this film. <laughs> okay, so that's what you call it. Because it's not a mullet. No. But it has... It, it, there's it, a poof, and right. there's a bit of length to it. He doesn't. He clearly doesn't spend as much time on it here, and it gets greasier and more matted down as the movie goes on. Uh, he jumps in, rescues a lady that's in the car struggling. He sees in the passenger seat uh, a dead man. There's the. I wasn't just the lighting. There was like blood coming up. Yeah, from the I car. think that the 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 head bobs up, and then the mouth is open, and some blood comes out of the mouth. I don't know. It's pretty pretty gory. It's also really confusingly shot because I don't really know what's going on until he actually rescues her from under the water. It's murky water, and I understand that that's probably what it would look like in real life if you were trying to save somebody underwater. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a movie, movie we're magic, the Palma. People don't look like John Travolta. I mean, he's a perfect-looking human. Make this look like a perfect. Honestly, wreck. the biggest believability jump was that he's a sound man that looks like John Travolta. Mm-hmm. That guy belongs in front of the camera. Exactly. There's no way that somebody that looks like John Travolta is doing sound, especially for shitty B horror films. Right. I thought it was going to be Channing a- Tatum doesn't work for trauma. Okay. Exactly. So he takes the woman to the nearby hospital, get her checked on. She's clearly distraught emotionally, physically, what have you. Uh, when he's trying to give a statement to a police officer, and the police officer is just being a huge dick and not believing him for any reason. He's questioning everything that Travolta tells him. Mm-hmm. He's like, and then I rescued the girl. What girl? Yeah. The girl I just brought to the hospital, the reason why I'm here. The cop's motivation in this scene makes no sense. It's like he's just, A, really bad at his job, or wandered in from the mental ward and is posing as a police officer. <laughs> I mean, it could happen in this hospital, because apparently... You can just wander into any patient's rooms and, and and just start a conversation with them. That's what Travolta does. It's true. Uh, so then Brian De, uh, Brian De Palma's then wife, uh, Nancy Allen, played, really, mm-hmm, oh, when this movie was made, uh, plays our lead female character, Sally. Is there any other real female character in this besides Sally? I mean, there's the receptionist and the other receptionist. And there, there's a hooker that gets a couple lines. That's right. I'm sorry. There's there's two women that are killed for being women. Of the night. Of the night, exactly. Um, as Travolta tries to leave after introducing himself to Sally, they they have a bit of a meet-cute, as it were. Uh, they set up a date somewhere down the line, go out to get a drink. She's clearly still fucking intoxicated, pilled up, boozed up, something. Travolta goes to leave. Jack is cut off by a horde of police officers and political clientele coming in. Um, Governor McRyan, who was mentioned on the television broadcast that Travolta had on in the background earlier, who was going to be the next president, allegedly, uh, he was in the car. He was the man that died underwater. He had his <laughs> hand in the cookie drawer. Sally was not his wife. Right. She was the cookie drawer. She was the uh, the proverbial cookie drawer. Jack is sequestered by members of McRyan's campaign, or a member, I guess the head of his campaign. The um, the man behind the man, behind the man. The Tony Hale on Veep. No, that's no, not his character. No. Uh, it would be the older guy, Kevin Dunn. Father Pat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either one. So he basically just takes Travolta into a room and says, okay, you didn't see any of this. You got to keep your mouth shut. You uh, didn't save anybody. <laughs> you didn't save anybody. That girl was never there. Uh He's dead one way or the other. There's no reason to make an issue about this. Well, what about the cops? And it's like, we'll take care of them. 
And uh, it's like this awesome life lesson for Travolta because he still would have been, I don't even know if he was 30 at this point, but he says, but that's not the truth. And the guy says, well, what does that matter to you? <laughs> Travolta realizes probably not too much. Um, this is, um, by now, I, I think it's, it's fair to bring up that this is one of those Travolta performances, much like the one in Phenomenon, before he gets the powers, I guess, that is, for all the Travoltisms, pretty toned down. Yes. There's no singing. There's no dancing. There's nothing spectacular about. He, uh, he breaks the mold here. He uses Jesus Christ instead of "Oh my God." So there's not an "Oh my God" moment. That's the most memorable thing he does in this movie. We get it twice. Yes, both times we both looked at each other like, <laughs> "Oh, there it is." That's so, my Travolta. That is hashtag my Travolta. Uh, Jack and Sally are snuck out the back to keep them away from the press and the uh, oncoming flow of law enforcement. Uh, they stay the night at a motel together just to kind of get away. Uh, Travolta stays up all night, though, just listening to this tape on repeat. He's just obsessing over it. it it's just the problem of buffing up the runtime. Yes. Because it really, he listens to the tape, and then we get to see shots that we've already seen before. Mm-hmm. It's like he hears the sound of the car driving, so then we see a shot of the car driving. He hears the owl, then we see the owl flying. It's completely but it's unnecessary. Of, but it's becoming a lot of like JFK where we're seeing his idea of what happened and that he's piecing together. So he's seeing the car tire being shot out and it wasn't, you know, just a blowout. Uh, that's one of the things the police officer says. There was no bang beforehand. He just heard the blowout. And again, which Travolta says, you know, I'm a vegan. I know these things. <laughs> I'm in sound. I know what an echo sounds like. But he's basically at this point just put the stamp on it. He staked his flag in the ground that he is going to investigate this at a guerrilla level and figure out what happened for no reason he has no reason to do it he has no dog in the fight no he could have just walked away uh actually what he should have done is try to leverage exactly (laughs) yeah that's what you know any sensible person would do in this situation an older travolta maybe would have done that i wouldn't even go that far i think tony uh, monero (laughs) oh yeah held him up for some money (laughs) it was worth to you um so the tire that was shot out, this is like some ominous fucking uh, Dark Knight type shit at the beginning where it's just the shot behind the Joker. That's what we're getting here, but we don't know who it is, and they don't really have that much of a menacing silhouette. But they break into the auto shop where um, uh, Governor McRyan's car had been taken, and we see they take the tire off, and it's clearly that it was a bullet that was shot through it. As if it wasn't clear enough... Uh- the, the guy pretty much... They spin the tire into the light <laughs> yeah. just to show the bullet hole. He sticks one finger where the bullet went in and the other finger where the bullet went out. And then he turns to the camera and gives a big <laughs> thumbs up. It's like uh, John Belushi in um, Animal House. Have you ever seen Animal House? Uh, nope. Okay. Well, we'll cut that. <laughs> you know who else gives a thumbs up? Uh, the cop that says blowout. Yes. Gets it in 10 minutes into the movie. Hitler line, thumbs up. <laughs> so it's clear at this point that this is a conspiracy. Something's going on. We as the audience don't know what it is. Jack doesn't know what it is. Sally doesn't know what it is. I'm pretty sure at this point in the film, De Palma didn't know what it was. But What if somebody <laughs> has shot the tire? Let's just follow him here. But what happens next? Call Dennis France. <laughs> uh, he beat me to it. Um just when we think, you know, this has kind of died down and it's going to subside and we're going to get out of this movie in, a, you know, a reasonable runtime, uh, Detective Sipowicz shows up and he had filmed the whole damn thing. Well, he took pictures because they didn't have. Did they? No, well, he filmed it. No, 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 because because then he would have just like run the movie. He he took pictures 
uh, and then that's what Travolta has to make his own movie. But then they get the full film at the end. No, he gets the the film like because what Travolta was running was pictures of his pictures, mm-hmm. right? He'd cut the pictures out of a magazine and then taken pictures of that and like blow them up. I'm pretty sure that's what he did. No, he has like he did that with those pictures, but those were stills from a video, right? Yeah, but no, I thought it was just like the guy had taken like a whole bunch of pictures. Uh, well, my understanding was Sipowitz had recorded that for the opposite campaign that but, hired him, but they didn't want the video to get out because he died. But later, when we when he, his his operation is fully exposed, mm-hmm. what we see is pictures that he had taken of other people. But then when fucking Sally leaves him for dead, she takes the film and gives it to Travolta, and he <laughs> watches it dead. at home, and <laughs> oh, that's God. it. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going so far ahead, too. I have so many jokes about Zipowitz being dead. <laughs> Anyway, Sipowitz, chewing on a cigar, wearing a fedora. He know, has uh, photographic evidence. He's got, yeah, he's got the good stuff. Listeners, let us know who's <laughs> right. I say photos, Alex's uh, actual movie. Well, we'll get to where I prove you wrong here in a little bit. <laughs> uh, so he filmed the whole incident, and pictures of it leak, and God fucking, what a gross underbelly of tabloid journalism they have there. The front page, it's like... Pictures of McRyan's death right here. Five bits of gander. Two-page spread. Yeah. Travolta's going through pages of the pictures. And Travolta goes and gets it and does, like, the Playboy fold-out. And, whoa, baby. Uh, and he's just he, – he's going to do something with it. So he takes it back and, yeah, he makes himself a little flip book. Yeah. And then um, basically splices it all together to make, like, a really stop-motion-esque uh, flip book. Or not even flipbook. He puts it to film. He's able to like impose the photos on there. And- yeah, he does the Nightmare Before Christmas version yes. of uh, of the assassination, <laughs> and then he syncs it with his audio that he had recorded. And then he uploads it to YouTube, and then it's taken down for audio <laughs> copyrights. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of what song he would use, some Slayer song or some shit like that. So he finally goes on the date with Sally. They go to some local watering hole. He reveals a previous history he had of helping out law enforcement. Uh, due to his expertise with sound equipment, uh, he mic'd up a gentleman named Freddie. They were trying to shake down the mob or get some information on the mob. Right. They were trying to put away a dirty cop because later on it comes up that he the put cops. a lot of good cops. Exactly. Away. Yeah. Uh, his Travolta, they're just fleshing out his backstory because I guess at some point they realized that why would you waste Travolta on just a sound man? Yeah. You need, you need somebody that's a little more exciting. So now it turns out that one, that he did a stint in the army, mm-hmm. right? And then two, that he was helping. He was discharged for refusing to cut his hair. <laughs> uh, and then two, yeah, he helped out uh, law enforcement. But he did a shitty job because the first thing you should know is like physical attributes of someone who are going to put a wire on him. And this guy, he's like, yeah, he always sweated a lot. And then he puts this wire on him and it sweats into the sound equipment, if I understood correctly. And then he gets hung by the same sound equipment and Travolta finds him there. When we get moment number two of, ah, Jesus Christ. What was the first one? When the actual crash happens. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he has that death in his conscience. I guess that is the Palma trying to justify why the fuck Travolta is so obsessed with justice. Mm-hmm. Because he has he has that that weighing on him. That, But still, as an audience member, you could say this is like a clear indicator that you should probably just stay away from it. <laughs> Someone got hung the last time you got involved in this shit. Right. And also, you're not good enough for this, obviously. Because... That's why you went from helping law enforcement to just working on movies. Mm-hmm. You're not cut out for That's this. That's why you're on fucking Troma's <laughs> payroll now. Where is this? Is it New York City, Chicago? 
Philadelphia. Uh, Sipowitz sounds West, super New York. He does. West Philadelphia, born and raised. Let me see. I've got the Wikipedia pulled up here. Let me see if I can find it. Philadelphia. Duh. They got the fucking Liberty Bell there. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. a citizen of this country. You should I, be. Some things just... <laughs> I couldn't study everything. I had to get the Cliffs Notes. <laughs> uh, yes. Because the whole local culture is building towards the centennial for the Liberty Bell. They're going to ring it loud and proud. Lots of fireworks. Yes. Much like the, num- Trump, uh, the night Trump was elected. <laughs> A bunch of rednecks got in there and ding, 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 ding. Um, Much like the night Trump was elected, this ends in a tragedy as well. But instead of Sally and Lithgow atop the building, it was just America. (laughs) It still ends with Travolta listening in a loop to uh, Trump's victory speech. (laughs) It's sad because it's true. So the mysterious stranger that's been hopping around, changing tires, uh, wearing different outfits, uh, comes into light. We see a hand with a picture of Sally and then a woman who we believe is Sally. Turns out not to be. Situation is this. John Lithgow, yes, from Third Rock from the Sun. uh, Young John Lithgow, full head of hair. I don't know about full. Three quarters. (laughs) He was doing all right. Uh, He changed the tire. He is this mysterious henchman. Uh, we find out he's fucking cold-blooded. He he was suited for his role in Dexter years later. Yeah, I couldn't buy it. I don't know if, if it's just that he needs to age into into that killer instinct for me to buy him as a cold-blooded killer. It's fucking Third Rock from the Sun, John Lithgow. Yes, I, I couldn't. Later, you, you hear him like making funny voices while he's doing a phone call. Yeah. And it's just like, that's the John Lithgow I know. This is Lord Farquaad. I'm not going to buy him fucking killing a woman in cold blood. Yeah, he strangles her with a wire. The, that he pulls from his watch. Yeah, the old watch trick. And then, and then after she's dead, he cuts her open, right? He pulls out a screwdriver or something. It's an ice pick, and he stabs the shape of a Liberty Bell into it because he becomes a Liberty Bell strangler. Right. Um, and it, completely unnecessary because all he's trying to do is get rid of Sally. Yes. But but he, he decides to add his signature move. He's got a little bit of flair onto it. Right. He leaves his calling card. Uh, so this is clearly a woman that looks like Sally. Um like a shitty attempt at the Terminator. Right. All Sarah Connors doing uh-huh. it's, just, it's just pretty redheaded, poofy haired women. So we get a little bit further into the what the hell was going on. Uh, Sally and Sipowitz were in it together. Right. So it appears as though they were trying to blackmail McRyan. Yeah, that's that's Sipowitz business. He he gets Sally in bed with politicians, takes pictures, gets pictures of them together. And then he blackmails the politicians. Mm-hmm. What happened this time is that somebody shot the tire, causing the car to crash and the guy to die and Sally almost to die. Yeah. So things kind of went, I think you used the phrase, went rogue, went a bit <laughs> off script, off uh, off kilter in this particular situation. Now, Sipowitz claims innocence and he is, like I said, full on New York yeah. in this. And it's the most I've heard him talk ever. <laughs> And, and just barely taking a, a, a beat to, About 60 to pounds lighter. That uh, too, I guess he has him better. He's got he has the better shape. wife beater tucked into the slacks. He, he never <laughs> smokes the cigar. He's just chewing on it the whole time. We see, you know, we, we see him three different times in this movie. All three times he has the stained uh, wife beater. And we do see the shot of him um, like faking how the conversation with Sally's going to go. It's just him looking like he's preparing for the scene. Uh-huh. It's quite wonderful. Uh <laughs> My notes say Jack becomes a 9-11 truther. So, 
Jack Terry, this has become his obsession. His work, I don't know if he keeps putting off everything. He obviously, by the end of the movie, still has a job, but like all these opportunities are coming up and he's just blowing it aside. There's a couple of times where we see his boss saying, hey, did you have that stuff you're supposed to have? And he must be in good with the boss because he's wasting company resources to you know try to figure out all this shit. He's thrown together this um, you know college art film rendering of the crash where he put his flip book next and synced up to the audio. So that's you know what he has. Um, he's taking it to the police and they just don't want to hear it. They they don't like him because one they don't like him and two the cop has the really sobering line of what if you're right. It doesn't matter. Who this gives is, a shit? This is just an accident. Now, also, while Travolta is doing this, he has made the terrible suggestion um, that Sally should stay in town. Because Sally was ready to get out of town. The The same guy that told Travolta, don't say anything, mm-hmm. told Sally that she needed to leave town and gave her money. Uh, but Travolta tells her, no, you should stay because I have a feeling that you can help me with this. Which is a lie. Yeah, she has zero value in this investigation, other than as a witness that the guy, the senator, or whatever. All she's going to do is create a bigger mud hole that they get stuck in. Right. All this does is create, uh, give, give Lithgow a good victim there. She is Josh Brolin's mother-in-law from No Country for Old Men. There's no way that she's not just going to make the situation worse, and eventually that comes to be, and it's her undoing. Yeah, I mean, Travolta works in movies. In the, in this movie, he he is a guy that sits there screening movies and putting sound effects on them. He has to know this is a terrible idea. This yes. is how the heroes undoing happens. It's Hitchcockian. He exactly. should know this. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, there's no De Palma equivalent in the trauma universe. So <laughs> he's thinking, oh, they're all idiots. That's not me. I'm so much smarter than them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the cops are flat out. You know, this is a closed case type of deal. But then, but then they also want to keep the tape. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, fine, I'll take it somewhere else." He's like, "You take that from me, I'm gonna, you know, arrest you for withholding evidence." And is that so? <laughs> we learn John Lithgow's name is Burke or Berkser. Uh, this is very difficult to follow. I pieced it together based on information we're given later in the movie. He's talking to an old man who sounds like Stacy Keach. Unfortunately, it's not Stacy Keach. That uh, matter because we never see him again. No, we just see him in the, the phone booth. So, Julio, again, this is difficult to follow, so make sure my understanding is correct. This old man was the you know, the campaign head or somebody that worked for a rival candidate to McRyan. Right. And they were looking, just they hired John Lithgow to assist with, uh, they wanted him to cause the car to be banged up for the police to come. That's I think that's the, the idea, that they were... It's kind of confusing. But somehow these people got linked in with Sipowitz. Right. So Sipowitz gets hired to take pictures of them having sex. Uh, footage, because he has film. <laughs> sure. <laughs> For the sake of moving along, let's agree. that Photographic evidence. Uh, but it, so if that's the case, I don't know what Lithgow role was supposed to be. He's like hiding in the bushes for no reason, right? Yeah. But but he was supposed to be there because when he's talking to not Stacey Keach on the phone, he's it's like when the mob hired the Joker. Like they, they don't anything know what can doing. happen, yeah. right? Stacey Keach tells him, "You were not supposed to shoot a, shoot the tire. You you brought that up as an idea, and we said no." And and then Lithgow is like, "Listen, it just it happened. It, it, it just, we, we have to deal with it now. Gun safety. It just went off." <laughs> so, I have a license. Somewhere in between there, the plan was. 
to get pictures taken and also for a bang up situation to occur to where like authorities would have to come and find right. Uh, Zipowitz later tells in one of his arguments with with Sally when she's like it's not I could have died. Of an argument. There's she's not doing too much talking. <laughs> when she she leaves him for dead. When she no <laughs> before that. Okay. When she gingerly brings up the fact that she could have been killed with this thing, he says, I didn't know that they were going to shoot the car, but it makes sense. They were probably trying to make him crash so that the cops would show up and find you there. Okay. But if the cops were going to find him there, then why did he need to take pictures? It doesn't uh, make sense. Footage. <laughs> why did they need photographic evidence? <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter because I, I'm sure the Palma doesn't care, so why should we care? So Lithgow explains that he shot the tire, didn't mean to kill him. He replaced the tire, though, to make it look like a blowout. He erased the audio tapes that Travolta had provided, um, and then he was plotting to kill Sally, and he's killing these other women to make it look like a string of murders and not just one thing connected to it. So, you know, he's got his ducks all in a row here. He's, he's thought this through more than De Palma. Yes. I think this was just Lithgow being recorded, because he's, like, hate-boning the camera when he's talking about all this. So I think he's just explaining the movie to Brian De Palma. <laughs> They had lunch the previous day. He's like, what do you think the script means? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> if, if you Travolta had to... <laughs> over there doesn't know what this is all about. I, I'm too busy. Can you explain <laughs> it to him? Uh, so Travolta discovers that his tapes have been wiped. He This is um, nauseating in, the, in a literal sense. Because fucking De Palma just put the camera on like a bar stool that spins... <laughs> And just, you know, was spinning it faster and faster as the scene went on. We're in Travolta's laboratory, and he's going through all his tapes while this camera's spinning around. I don't know about you. I had to turn away. I got dizzy. Yeah, it's I, I turned away not because I got dizzy, but I was just fucking annoyed by how show-offy Brian De Palma was. It's, you know, I, I should have known because we were watching Brian De Palma movie. You know what you're getting into. And from the very beginning of this movie, when you see that long sequence mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, in the fake horror movie, uh, you know what you're getting into, and this is more of that. Yep. Just one continuous shot, spinning. You didn't need to do that. That's no. the thing. There's such a thing as economy in storytelling. Just give me one shot of Travolta that you've done throughout the movie, listening intently, Yeah. and then a shot of the tapes rolling and how there's no real sound coming out, and then you just hear, oh, my God, <laughs> and that's it. That's, <laughs> that's when he busts out the, oh, my God. Uh the police officer he was talking with called him. He's like, what's your problem? These tapes are blank. Um, it would have been much better if Lithgow replaced it with the soundtrack from Greece. I feel that would have really added a new wrinkle to the film. <laughs> it would have uh, been just, uh, what, Oh Sandy? Like, that'd be good. Or just, you know, Grease Lightning. Just, you know. Grease Lightning. Because, you know, those songs weren't embedded into American pop culture at that point. So you'd have to do something that... Got people's attention right I just, I guess, oh, Sandy Or a deep is... track, The Worst Thing I Could Do by Stalker Channing, I think would be excellent. <laughs> Who is this broad? <laughs> so Travolta hid the final, basically the master copy of the tape. He put it in his apartment, I think, in the ceiling. Uh, like when you're fucking 15 and you have to hide your weed from your parents. Uh, that Not to out him now, but it's been fucking 16 years, so I think it's all right. Uh, I had a friend who had a tile ceiling like that in the basement where he had his room. That's where he kept his weed. When I saw him moving the tile, I knew shit was about to get good and crispy, and we were going to play some N64. Like, let me show you this murder I recorded. <laughs> yeah, there was that one night where it wasn't what I was expecting. Uh, so he has the final tape. He's fucking losing it. He's constantly bloodshot eyes. doesn't look like he slept. Uh, his hair is 
as unkempt as John Travolta's hair can be. Did you did you have a flashback slash flash forward to Phenomenon, the the final act of Phenomenon when he also goes just off the rails? I'm trying to remember the final act of Phenomenon. I just remember him being in the hospital and then getting it, out. It's before the hospital, before he. Uh, before, when he's getting ready to stage an evening with John Travolta, and he's reading all oh, those books, yes. he hasn't shaved. He's not shaved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His hair yeah. is all over the place. When um, who's the female lead in that movie? Kira Sedgwick. Yeah, she has to come over and shave him very yeah. erotically. Nobody shaves him in this one. No, <laughs> no one's getting near him. Uh, the local news anchor Frank Donahue wants to air this uh, footage and audio clip that he has. Um, we never find out how he found out. He just says, "I'm a newsman. I have sources." Yeah, which was pretty creepy. Uh, so Sally goes to get the tape, the recording, the film that Sipowitz took. The negatives of the photographs. <laughs> um, and he explains to her what we were just talking about a few uh, frames earlier here about this is what was supposed to happen and kind of got out of control. Want to fuck? And uh, he... <laughs> I think his plan was they were going to have a drink together and then you know go to bed together. And he goes after it and she's telling him to stop. And we were getting some flashbacks. Dude, it was like, this just happened yesterday. <laughs> uh, but then she grabs the bottle, and good for her, she just breaks it over his head, and she gets out of there with the uh, reel of film. And um, It was not a repeat of Saturday Night Fever, thankfully. No. Shockingly, in a De Palma film, a woman got away. Um, this was this is a problem I have with the movie, which is that the, the Sally character in general, so she's depicted as being kind of ditzy. Oh, yeah. Right. You, first, you meet her in the hospital, and you think it's just the drugs and the, the shock and everything that she's gone through. But then she goes on that date with Travolta, and and through their numerous interactions, she's she sounds like a child. Um, and uh, but every now and then, the movie requires her to be particularly crafty, uh, and this is one of those instances because. She's, she goes to talk to Sepowitz, mm -hmm. not because she needs an explanation, but because she tells Travolta, I can get those negatives for you. Yeah. Right? So was part of her plan to get Sepowitz to try to, to assault her so that she could, in self-defense, knock him out? Well, first of all, it was a real of film, uh, motion picture film, <laughs> not negatives. And secondly, I don't know. I feel like that plan kind of goes beyond what the movie's – built her level of thought to be right that's like a joker slash loki slash the bad guy from uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the bad guy from skyfall javier bordem uh, you know we're like her plan was to get captured all along her, her plan was to be sexually assaulted all along so that she could in self-defense knock sepowitz out and then escape with the booty if so i mean fair fucks to her she pulled it off she got away with the video recording of the crash and uh, photographs and shows it to Travolta and he does the clap and he's like, all right, that's it. This is probably the last time that Travolta is happy in this movie. Um, Sipowitz, by the way, I don't know if he died or not. I mean, it seems like it being the Palma would have gotten a gory oh, close up yeah. of his bloody head or something. I mean, he didn't uh, have much to live for. He just had that one stained wife beater. He had the fucking... Uh, apartment across the street from the Kenny Rogers chicken, like on Seinfeld, where it's just the, all the light pouring in. Um, when he dies, he's or, or when he's unconscious or whatever, he's like in that Christ pose. Do you see that his arms are stretched out and he's lying on the bed? Uh, well, I mean, Sipowitz, no, Sipowitz didn't die for our sins. Jimmy Smith's died for our sins on NYPD Blue. I don't know, but Sipowitz is in City of Angels. God bless. 
Sally gets the tape. Lithgow's on the hunt. He knows what's going on. Uh, in this time, we get a 20-minute detour of a sex worker in Penn Station that he lures in. So does he get the beach and then kills her? Is that implied? No. I. Then, this is... Okay, what goes on with this hooker is as confusing as what goes on with the plot to kill slash incriminate the the senator. Governor McRyan. Yeah, the governor. Right? Because I don't understand there's a lot I don't understand in this movie. So so it starts off with this prostitute well, well, negotiating her fee with a navy boy. Right, but but first even Lithgo taps into the phones. Right, so he pretends to be the reporter mm-hmm. that that wants Travolta's story, and he calls Sally and tells her, "Hey, let's meet at the at the mm-hmm. station, right?" And then, so then he's waiting at the station, and uh, and there's a hooker that's negotiating with some guy, mm-hmm. and uh, that guy, for some reason, he ends up no like they they agree to thirty minutes. And then, but five minutes in, he bails out, and he's like, "No, this sucks." Yeah. And so he bails out on her, and as she's wiping her mouth, she sees John Lithgow looking at her with from a crisp fifty dollar bill. Yeah. So the implication there is that Lithgow is saying, "I'm I'm next, I'm down, right?" But we don't see that. We just see her. She's like, "Okay, cool," and then she walks out and goes to the bathroom, brushes her teeth, and, and then he wanders into the bathroom and strangles her. Right. So they were there was never was she getting ready for Lithgow or. Was I mean, she? I don't know if you ever truly are ready for John Lithgow, but um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. It, well, but but here's like what's even more confusing. It's like why does he kill her? Is it because he thought that was Sally? Does he think that Sally's a hooker? No, he, it's to keep the string of murders up. So okay, but that's overdoing it, right? I mean, I guess not. This is just his second kill in the movie. Yeah, because what's that old thing? It's not a serial killer until it's three of them. Oh, okay, that's. But wait, why did they have a Liberty Bell Strangler name for him if he's only killed one woman so far? Right, that's why I thought that he had killed more. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, he might have. Maybe he's just, the whole thing is just a cover because Lithgow just gets off on killing women that look like Sally. It could be. Um, so as Julio mentioned, he poses as Frank Donahue. Uh, Jack drops off Sally with the footage. They're going to try to air this to figure out the fuck's going on. Um, but he doesn't trust Frank in quotation marks because mm-hmm. he, he's like, "Why did he call you and not call me?" So, so he wires her up, right? Proving that he he doesn't learn from his mistakes. No, last time he wired somebody, that guy they left up. hanging in a bathroom. <laughs> exactly. So he wires her up, goes in. He hears uh, Frank Donahue air quotations. He hears Lithgow's voice and immediately knows that you know something's not right. So he runs into Penn Station. The chase is on. Uh, Lithgow tries to just offer that and then and there, but they have to end up hopping on a train. Uh, Travolta's still listening in and is able to hear where they're going. He goes and jumps in his car, and, you know, vehicular manslaughter, a go-go, this movie becomes. This is like fucking a GTA movie of some sort. He drives through the Centennial Parade going on. I think the car takes down an inflatable Liberty Bell. He almost runs over numerous military personnel. And then he crashes into a building, and everyone's concerned about his health. Like, oh, my God, it's Welcome Back, Cotter. Get an ambulance. How is it that he doesn't wake up in handcuffs, right? No shit. <laughs> the, the movie fades to black, and then when 
we come back, he's in the back of an ambulance. Being treated, not being watched by anybody. Right. It, this, this man is a maniac. And obviously he wasn't that badly hurt because as soon as he gets up, he's, he's off and running he again. He puts his earpiece back in. Um, during all this, it's ex- Sally figures out Lithgow is not who he says he is. He takes well, the tape, throws it in the, the river. Yeah, she doesn't. he has to spell it out for her, basically. Because she gives him the tape and he starts... R- Tearing the tape apart and wrapping it are around you the it up. Yeah. And then he what th- are you doing? <laughs> throws it in the creek bed, lake, what have you. The what's our word of the day from Reindeer Games? The ravine. ravine. Yeah. And she's like, "Why'd you do that?" <laughs> and and he, then he starts putting. I'm his gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you getting cold? What's going on? <laughs> so. I mean, this was Sally's destiny from this point. John Lithgow, Burke, um, starts, you know, he tries to attack her. She starts to get away, and he chases her up to the top of, it's not necessarily a building, but an overlook of the parade, what's going on. It's up a concrete staircase and at the top of it. And Travolta's, you know, fighting through this crowd. He's got the earpiece in, and he hears her, you know, call for help. And he just sees her off in the distance up atop it and lets out this just blood-curdling scream for help. Well, he, he hears the bell. Right, because I was like, okay, at what point is his his expertise in audio going to pay off somehow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he he hears the bell, and that's what makes him look that way and sees her over the railing. Okay, just and- but everything quiets down just for that one scream that she lets out. <laughs> right, uh, he runs up and tries to save her. He catches Lithgow in the act of stabbing her. Uh, takes the ice pick from Lithgow and just stabs him to death. It's too little, too late though. Day late and a dollar short, unfortunately, as Sally uh, is dead. And Travolta, in a moment of odd patriotism, is holding her in his arms while red, white, and blue fireworks go off overhead. Uh, yeah, like I told you, it's a precursor to that that awesome shot from uh, Brokeback Mountain. Well, when he takes the ice pick from Lithgow with the American flag in the background, it's like the end of glory when Matthew Broderick like unseats his sword and starts going for it. Uh, but Jack realizes what's happened. There's nothing more he can do, and I, he just flees the scene. I guess. I, the next shot, the next Well, scene, the next thing is the news broadcast saying that she killed him in, like, in a struggle. Right. My notes is, can the, can the news get anything right in this movie? <laughs> Fake news. Yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. After all that, Travolta, Jack Terry, was not able to solve the crime, and once again, uh, blood on his hands. Another dead body for his, you know, mishaps and his errors in judgment. The moral of the story: This is Brian De Palma telling you, you need to stay on in your, your lane. lane. Yeah, just just do. You what... have your job at Troma. They let you come in whenever you want. Just stay with it. Don't give me that truth and justice and the American way thing. That's just corruption is going to be all over you. So, and in the the damning moment of this, the. You know, Mark Wahlberg looking in the mirror at the end of Boogie Nights. To underline and highlight how he feels about the world. When Travolta, you know, he realizes what he is, he uses the audio recording of that scream that Sally let out to placate the director of this horror film they're making. And he he says, what a perfect scream! And Travolta, looking like he hasn't slept in a week, just, yeah, it's a perfect scream. It's a perfect scream. And it plays over and over again as the movie fades to black. It's Brian De Palma just holding a giant middle finger to the audience, to Travolta fans, to just American general. There's a big flag that says cynicism on it, <laughs> flying free in the background. 
just so unpleasant. Oh, yeah. And this is after last night having watched a movie that ended with gang rape and, and the death it, of a suicide. Young boy. Yeah. <laughs> this is just. But they played the Bee Gees, so it was okay. Right. Where's the, where's the cool musical numbers here? There's no dancing, there's no singing. I mean, I did appreciate him playing Someday over the end credits, but, you know, Sugar Ray can only do so much. That movie beats you down. <laughs> and I don't think that it was that it was worth it. I, I can't rescue anything out of it other than just pure... And I was going to say cynicism for the for the sake of cynicism. How old was Brian De Palma when, when he made this movie? Had he really seen some shit to where <laughs> he could just justify being this much of an asshole to the moviegoers everywhere? I don't know. I can't answer your question. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this this actor you love, this this John Travolta guy, and I'm gonna put him through hell. Yeah. And then thirty years later Steve McQueen was like, I'll take the baton to Palma. I'm gonna make this ditty called Shame. Uh he's really it's not just that it does what it does to the character of uh, of the sound man trying to be an agent of justice. It also does what it does to John Travolta, who, as that critic pointed out, was trying to be taken seriously mm-hmm. as an actor. And this is the movie, and De Palma basically telling him, no, <laughs> y- you can't cut it. You're not good enough to, to stop John Lithgow and the forces of corruption in the United States. Go be in the Toxic Avenger too. <laughs> all right? Stay a sound man. <laughs> all right. I don't have any more for blowout. I'm blown out. Blown away. Blown away. Uh, Let's go to real talk. Let's do. Take us away, Oh, Jack, I'm sorry. 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 I
Okay, we're recording for Real Talk. All right, and as implied by the title of the segment, Real Talk is where we share our true feelings, emotions, all that good sappy stuff on the film at hand. Uh, so again, Blowout, directed by Brian De Palma, released July 24th, 1981, I believe is what I said. Yes, uh, approximated budget of $18 million, box office return of approximately $12 million, and the standing of 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Obviously, in the higher end of things, before we get too far into our opinions, Julio, what were the opinions of those that did not care for it, that 13%? People that didn't like it, the green splotches. Uh, Bruce McCabe from the Boston Globe says, It's a Xerox of a movie that's nowhere near as indelible as the originals it purports to emulate. Uh, Which is like, what, M is for murder? Uh, well, apparently, the Antonioni movie Blow Up which I haven't seen, but I always get it confused with Blowout, which mm-hmm. I hadn't seen until today. <laughs> uh, I want to say the Antonioni movie has to do with blowing up photos, and this one has to do with analyzing audio. So okay. maybe there is a the connection there. I could be talking out of my ass here. I mean, I don't know. Birds of a feather. Yeah. Um, Variety staff from Variety <laughs> says, with attractive leads and a stylish flair for suspense, De Palma misses sustaining involvement by his distracting allusions to prior films. Which I guess is the other thing. The easy attack on De Palma is that all he does is, like when people say that Tarantino, all he does is just homages to other movies he likes. And you can say the same thing about De Palma. Uh, Douglas Pratt from DVD Laser says, the filmmakers seem more concerned with their art or their in-jokes than with satisfying an audience. What's wrong with a filmmaker being concerned with their art? Yeah, I don't understand how that's a valid critique. Doug? Uh, Time Out says, where Antonioni's images made you think, the palmas merely make you blink, and the Baroque plot confuses as often as it frightens. Okay, there is some confusion to it, but it is possible to piece it together. Yeah, it's, it's not... You know, it's uh, not confusing just for the sake of being confusing, right? You you fairly well know where you stand mm-hmm. in regard to all the characters, and I like think Sipowitz that with the video footage of the crash with the photographs, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, before we go too much further, interesting pieces of trivia that I found on the old faithful IMDb page uh, in the French version, John Travolta's voice was dar- uh, dubbed by Gerard Depardieu. Uh, Al Pacino was De Palma's first choice which I don't know how that movie would have worked. Uh, apparently, when Travolta was cast, the studio then encouraged the role of Sally to be played by Olivia Newton-John. Uh, yeah. But no. then, I mean, Saturday Night Fever, they compare him to Pacino. Mm-hmm. So it could have worked. Worked back and forth. I, I mean, most of the trivia on IMDb is like, this was an allusion to the JFK assassination or the Kennedy crash at uh, Chepaquatic or whatever. Chepaquitic. I just watched that movie uh, a while ago. It wasn't good. Um, oh really? Yeah, but it's but Michael the whole Shannon, idea, right? No, 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 no. It's uh Ed Helms. But the the guy playing Kennedy is uh John oh. Connor from The Last Terminator. Okay. I don't know what the hell I'm thinking of. Probably something good cuz that's usually what Michael Shannon's yes. involved in. No, Chip is uh what's his name? The uh one of the Kennedys. Is it K- Ted Kennedy? Ted Kennedy. Yeah, Ted Kennedy was uh driving with a staffer, mm-hmm. drunk driving. After a party, got in a single in, car crash and she drowned. He yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he yeah. didn't. He he escaped the car, but didn't go back for her. Like the whole thing was just a political cover up. Right. right. They tried to cover up. Eventually, it came out, and and then America didn't care. 
he still went on to be a successful yeah. politician or whatever. I mean, I think we're we have definitive proof now that America <laughs> doesn't, doesn't care. give a shit. Okay, so let's get to the meat and potatoes of all this, being that it's a movie Julio had never seen before. This movie's fucking awesome. Yes, I. The problem is hit or miss. Yes, for me. I mean, we were talking about the Palma movies that we liked before uh, we started Which watching. I, you yes, said Untouchables. And, and then I said, I'm a big Carrie fan, and then Guilty Pleasure, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is, is entertaining. Yeah. It's all hell. Um, but then I've seen, he, he has some bad ones. Uh, there's this thing with the Palma where, you know, the whole thing with the boobs that we mentioned in mm-hmm. Katrina's Corner, that's a thing. There's a, sometimes a little too much nudity gratuitous nudity <laughs> i was reading something about this movie while we were recording they referred to him as like a, a vicious misogynist or something like that i don't know if, it, if there's misogyny i guess i'm not familiar enough with his filmography to really just indict him of, on that but i can say that sometimes it just feels like a lot of boobs and a lot of flashy camera work and not enough of a story a good Are we story about Rob zombie now well i mean you know they hey, went to school together they did he was you know teacher and the student They'll yeah. eventually have a grindhouse type movie where they try to outdo one another. Um, but this one's great. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we go any further, Julio and I both agreed. I didn't. I didn't realize we never talked about this. We both find Scarface to be quite overrated. Yes. So yeah, I know there's probably one or two listeners that are screaming Scarface. Why aren't you talking about that? But I, no, I, don't give a shit. I. It starts for me like I told you. It starts with Pacino's performance mm-hmm. as a Cuban. It just. It's kitsch. Yes. I find it grating, and the movie wants you to take it seriously. If this was a comedy, then, okay, sure, Pacino's a Cuban. I I get it. And, like, even the quote-unquote iconic, like, monologues he has in that, I'm just like, whatever. It's it's Juno-type shit. It's like people don't (laughs) talk like that, okay? But anyway, that enough bitching about shit. Man, this movie was fucking great. And shout-out to Eddie for letting us borrow the Criterion version of it to view. But, uh... We talked about it briefly when we were watching the movie. Uh, you know it's usually a good sign when Julio and I aren't talking that much during a movie, which there was very minimal. But what we've talked about, the whole consistency, or constant, rather, for the summer of Travolta, is how fucking good John Travolta is in that, okay, this isn't the same guy that I watched in all these other movies, and this is completely different than every other movie we watched. It's a very specific his time performance, that is. In, in his career, I think, because this is not... Adult Travolta. When I think adult Travolta, I think Pulp Fiction onwards, mm-hmm. right? And then you have Young Travolta, which we just saw in Saturday Night Fever, in you know Greece. Even though there, the joke is that he's he's too old for yeah. Greece, but he's still this a was. I would still crop this in. I wouldn't call this '80s Travolta because it's good. Uh, so <laughs> this is still you know Young Travolta, not confused Travolta, right? Post grad Travolta. Yes, but but. He doesn't seem as young. He's not playing a, a a kid in his late teens, early twenties. He seems like an adult here, mm-hmm. but a, a a young adult, right? He's the way that he carries himself in and the environment that surrounds him is is adult life. He has a job. He has his own apartment. He has, uh, he's a, he's a leading man yeah. in a way that he wasn't before. So I was surprised because I think it's the first time that we've seen this type of Travolta in the summer of Travolta. What's even more impressive, and obviously I gushed over Saturday Night Fever, but you can chalk up a lot of his performance to being that he was young at the time and like could easily get in that mindset. Whereas this is only, you know, not even four years later, and I don't even know if he would have been uh, thirty yet. But like you said, his character is immersed in this adult life, 
but he also comes across as like a mature actor, how polished he seems for how young he still would have been at the time. Right. Whereas everything he had done up until this point was, oh my God, Travolta. <laughs> Where this, he, he clearly, as a performance, made a conscious decision to not do any of his stereotypical shit. Yeah, there's, there's no real Travoltisms in, in here. No, there's not. Uh, we came close a couple times, but then he would just turn the car back around and wouldn't get there. Yeah, he, he holds it. Let's out of Jesus Christ, and then, <laughs> and then moves on. Uh, he's he's really good. He, I guess this is kind of like a meta thing, you know, that has to do with how we perceive John Travolta. I don't know how this played for audiences back in 1981, mm-hmm. who were like, "Oh, that's the guy from Saturday Night Fever in Greece." Yeah, right. To us, it's like that's John Travolta. When's he going to start singing or dancing? Right. It it makes it feel really fresh to me to see this role played by John Travolta. Mm-hmm. It, maybe if, the, if you had a character that's more commonly associated with this kind of movie, in this movie, it, wouldn't, it would have taken wouldn't a little longer. It wouldn't pop as much. Right, but this, it just feels like this is really cool. I'm watching something really new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he brings it, you know, the fact that he doesn't feel out of place. I, you know, I, I hate to make so many analogies to The Dark Knight. Uh, I think it's just my mindset because we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary. But uh, in a lot of ways, what you're describing is just like Heath Ledger is the Joker, just com- something completely different. And like it's yep. so much more memorable because it is that you know typecast actor playing this role completely out of the box. Uh, you Because know, not enough people have given Heath Ledger's Joker praise. Um, <laughs> this, once again, you're giving us a hot take here. Uh, <laughs> but when this was over, I was I don't know about you, I was kind of astonished I had never seen it. Uh, I mean, I'd heard of it. And I, I, heard I, was, I knew it. of it. Uh, Eddie and Reed always talked about it. I think my thing was De Palma was so hit and miss with me that I never really felt like I was missing you, much. You didn't search for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but I, I could say the same about a lot of De Palma movies, I guess. You know, I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen, I haven't really seen Body Double, and I know that's kind of a divisive one. And Dress to Kills. Dress to Kill. Uh, how much did you know about the movie? Going Very little. In? I knew John Lithgow was the killer. Yeah, I I didn't even know that. I knew I knew it had to do with sound. I knew that he was like a sound mm-hmm. person and that. But I had no idea it was like this political conspiracy thriller and all these things. And, and that he was so fucking dark. Yeah. Oh God. I was about to say I didn't know Sipowitz delivered the comedic performance of a lifetime. But <laughs> yeah, getting into the dark, man. Credit all the credit for De Palma. The ending, he just goes for it. It's just Julio so turned to me and like, wait, was that the scream? <laughs> it's a good scream. His, that final shot of Travolta is great. Yeah. His, the way he looks is just so haunted and broken by the movie. It's like we were jesting about in Contrarian's Corner. That's the message of the movie, though. Stay in your lane. Because, like, you know, two people are dead now because there are three in the end. Three yeah. people are dead. Um, I did read... That despite like the rave reviews it got when word got out about the ending, that's why it, that was the suspicion of why it tanked at the box office. Uh, in addition to it's not take home to your daughter, John Travolta in this, and the studio was like more boobs. Yeah, <laughs> it was just De Palma and the the Groucho mustache. <laughs> I think we need more boobs in this movie. Uh, how do you feel about Nancy Allen's performance? Uh, it didn't surprise me when I heard she was married to Brian De Palma at the time. <laughs> I know that sounds awful. I know so that mean. really sounds insensitive. Um, but it's a lot like fucking Shelley Duvall in The Shining. She is 
easily the worst part of that movie to the point of being Duvall. distractingly bad. Yeah. Would you say then that, that, that Nancy Allen is the worst part of Blowout? Uh, I don't think that there's a worse part. Uh, obviously, that was just a kind of uh, backhanded compliment to her here. Uh, she's pretty. I think I can't get a good read on how good she was because her character is so aloof and like ditzy and whatnot. Uh, but if that's what they were going for, it worked well for the movie. It does get frustrating towards the end where she's so daft that she has to, you know, Lithgow has to explain to her what's going on. Yeah, I think that if, if the problem might be the character, not the performance, because if she played the character of somebody smarter than that, then yeah. it wouldn't make sense later on. <laughs> Fucking uh, Denise Richard as a nuclear scientist. Um but also, I, d I don't remember, uh, we were in between Contrarian's Corner and, and Real Talk. I, I noticed she was in Carrie, and I looked up who she was, and she's the bad girl in Carrie. Yeah. And I don't remember her. She's the one being... that tries to get John Travolta to run her down with the truck. Does she do that in Carrie? Isn't that her? Was the one that, she's the one that plans the, the thing with the bucket. Is she John Travolta's girlfriend in yeah. that? Okay, then she, I'm pretty sure she like, tries oh, to. Oh, to run Carrie down. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I and don't Travolta remember. Travolta played the bucket. That <laughs> yes, he just he falls over. Says his face. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm blood. <laughs> uh, she, I, I don't remember her taking me out of the movie and and Carrie. No. So that's why I'm thinking she could have played it in a more naturalistic way here. Uh, and it would have been fine. So I'm going to put it on the Palma telling her, play it this way, and I wrote this character. This character's written this way, so you yeah. can't be too smart. Um, it's not, you know, you used the word grading earlier. It's not anything that really takes away from the movie, but there's just some parts of it where I can completely understand what you're saying. Well, it's just, a, and she grew on me, actually. It, it, it's mainly the first half of the movie, maybe. She is... You know, at the hospital, when you can blame it on the drugs. I was about to say, that first part, it's never explained why she's acting that way, but I, that obviously adds to the intrigue of the situation, the mystery around it. Yeah, by the time that she is explained to Travolta how to do makeup, I, I was getting at least some sort of handle on the character. Mm -hmm. where I was like, okay, I guess I know some people like this. Yeah. Where she's just... She has a sunny disposition, despite the fact that she was involved in this horrible tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you could also explain some of it as in... Well, clearly she has that her own secret, which is that she was going to blackmail the guy. Uh, I guess that darkness doesn't really come through very much, but yeah. it could just be that Sibowitz was just the That's guy one directing the, everything. Like, such an interesting part of the movie is that, as far as we know, Travolta is the only innocent one of the bunch, but he causes, like, because of him, all this shit happens. And it obviously wears on him. Um... Ten years later, twenty years later, he comes across something else. And he's solutionist. I'm gonna put a wire on you. <laughs> this time, third time's the charm. He saw 9/11 on television. It was just like, all right, I'm gonna figure this out. <laughs> it was Shelley Duvall in The Shining, right? It was. Okay. And I, I how many times sure. have you seen The Shining? Uh, it's been quite a while, but I know I've seen it at least two or three times. Yeah, I want to say two, three times probably, as well. And her character, I. I appreciate her more, uh, in, you know, the more I watch the movie. And to be fair, I'm not over the moon about that movie to begin with, but it's she doesn't help. Yeah, I, I don't put it on her. I think much like here, I think I put it on Kubrick wanting a very specific type of character, yeah. and that character is just like nails on a chalkboard. The 
it didn't help that I read the book before the last time I rewatched the movie. Mm -hmm. And her character, the mom character in the book, is much more fleshed out. Uh, but it's a completely different character, too. It's supposed to be the cheerleader kind of girl that mm -hmm. ends up getting married to the writer. And, okay. But but that's not what Shelley Duvall is, is, is playing. No. So. Uh, pulling up Travolta's filmography here uh, to look at what the timing of this was. Right. Where was he coming from? Where did he go? Because, um, yeah, I don't remember anything he did in the 80s that was a, a graveyard smash. So he's coming off Urban Cowboy, which is a terribly great movie. Um, oh, yeah. It went right. Yeah, there was Blowout, and then there wasn't anything until Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so we had Blowout followed by Staying Alive, Two of a Kind, Perfect, The Experts, and then he went into the Look Who's Talking industry. Um, I'm, just, I'm bummed we didn't get to it perfect on here. We'll just have to shoehorn that in somewhere down the road. Which one is perfect? It's the one where him and, like... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis fall in love via Jazzercise. Uh, and like Tarantino defends it as a quality film. Uh, here nor there. No. Uh, okay, so this was, that's sad. So this was his one, his big swing at. Exactly. At artsy kind of filmmaking. It goes with a big director. It doesn't recoup its budget. Yeah. And he doesn't recoup credibility in, until 1994. So his follow-up is Staying Alive, which is a, a sequel to a movie that he's very popular for. Mm -hmm. And then that also... It's still at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, but that may be why this doesn't have you know a bigger legacy outside of film circles, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. like Film buffs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because it could be viewed as the thing that started that or urban cowboy could be viewed as the tipping point. Whereas this though is exactly what you said. And just going off his filmography here, it was Carrie Saturday Night Fever, Grease, moment by moment, urban cowboy. This was definitely the first acting that he did, and fucking hell, he's tremendous in it. That's it's just America decided that they did not care. Well, actually, no, they decided they did not care for. That bummer of an ending, and it translated as America doesn't care for adult Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Do you, okay, so question as a, a viewer of this, because I was thinking about this myself. Would you have liked it more if it ended with them broadcasting the news? Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. no. Uh, I, I was tempted to, once we were nearing the third act, I was going to turn to you and be like, do you think he makes it? Do you think he makes it out alive? Because I was, even though the ending it still was a gut punch as mm -hmm. far as how bad it got, uh, for everyone involved, I in the back of my head I was thinking there's there's no easy way out of this. Yeah, there's so much power against him that it's gonna be hard to believe that he comes out on top. Mm -hmm. And so I was gonna ask you, was like, do you think he's gonna make it? <laughs> and then of course I didn't. And then the movie showed us that no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't make it in time. Uh, yeah, he would have been around 26 when he made this movie, so he was still a spring chicken. Um, and Lithgow, obviously, he's not in it too much, but he's creepy as fuck. Yeah, he's now that we're not in, in Contrarian's Corner, I always find him creepy. <laughs> the, it, to me, it's actually harder to buy John Lithgow as a benevolent entity mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a creepster. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of Third Rock from the Sun. I mean, so it's I'm all right. not. Uh, honest to God, every time I think of John Lithgow, I think of uh, Orange County. He's so good in that. Uh, I thought you were going to say that movie, Sylvester Stallone. Is it Cliffhanger? 
Oh, that's right. He is in that. Everybody yeah. always brings him up as a, as a great villain mm-hmm. uh, in, in Cliffhanger. And I haven't seen Cliffhanger, but, I mean, I'll take their word for it. I think he's he's he can be a pretty good villain. He's, yeah, he's a villain in something else I watched recently. But uh, Harry and the Hendersons. I'm just trying to think of. <laughs> and then, of course, he had that stint on Dexter, which have we ever had the Dexter discussion? No, I know how it ends. It's not a good show. It never really was. I think it, for whatever reason, got by on a, a lot that... I don't see. I know John Lithgow was recently in a movie called like Love is Strange or something with uh, Alfred Molina. Oh, they're playing gay lovers, yeah, right? Yeah. I really wanted to see that. Uh, he was in the first of the Planet of the Apes relaunch reboot. Really? Um, yeah, he was he was he wasn't playing a creep. He was playing a <laughs> a guy with Alzheimer's. I think it's uh he plays James Franco's dad and the reason James Franco develops the drug that's that ends up creating the the advanced apes is that it's supposed to be a drug that helps cure Alzheimer by boosting your brain. Interesting. So, so he's doing it for his dad, for John Lithgow. And I still have not seen any of those Planet of the Apes. They're really movies. good. That's what I've heard. Yeah. The Contrarians present the Planet <laughs> of the Apes trilogy. Ooh, man. John Lithgow is in the Twilight Zone movie, one of the most cursed movies ever made. It, have you seen it? I, I remember his, his segment. He's uh, the guy in the plane. Uh... I've seen the Vic Morrow, the raw footage of it, and it gave me no hinkling to watch that movie. So, but that's just that's just you setting yourself that's up for up late at night, going on a black hole through YouTube, reading about you know things that happened on movie sets, and yeah, that's that's my fault, not John Lithgow's. <laughs> Let's not put that on him. John Lithgow was like, "Hey, what I do?" <laughs> uh, oh my god. Um, yeah, mind blown type of thing. It's just it makes you want to watch more of the Palma. It does. It definitely it it rekindles my I guess my drive to seek out more of his movies. Uh and that hadn't happened in a while. I think so. the most fascinating takeaway for me is this nugget of Travoltaism that I was never aware of because he's so much different than everything he's ever been in outside of this that He's he's the gift that has been giving consistently throughout this summer. So God bless him for it. And yeah, this was excellently placed in the summer of Travolta. Because uh, just just when we think that we got him figured out, <laughs> when we have all the answers, he changes the questions. <laughs> uh, so again, uh, we're following this up with Swordfish, and following Swordfish is get shorty and be cool and yes. be cool. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 in the final stretch. We're in the home stretch on the road trip. You're about four hours away from home. We're almost there. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. Are you? I know we're not quite ranking them right now, but are, are we gonna rate them? Like, I mean, we've rated some and we haven't rated others, but some deserve rating and others <laughs> don't. Uh, this is an A plus for me. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop at four stars. Okay. I mean, your that, scale's on five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The ending is a five star rating. Yes. But. So I take back the plus because the scene in Penn Station drags on for an unexcusably with, long with amount the of time. Yeah. yeah, there's some things like, I mean, I don't think it's a fatal flaw that some of the plot is a little muddy, but it would definitely be a better movie if if everything worked like, like clockwork. Yeah. You know? So I'll take a full star for that. Also, because even if it's not Nancy Allen's fault... I would have liked a more interesting female character. Mm-hmm. It's and that's that might be just the '80s fault. Yeah, you know, the world was not ready to have a movie that 
was this dark and had a complex female character. We didn't have female Ghostbusters yet. We weren't there. Uh, yeah, so great movie. Great addition to the Summer Travolta. Uh, definitely, I'm surprised it's not higher on Rotten Tomatoes. So It didn't have that many. Oh, I mean, really? It was like maybe, I think, like 45, 46 reviews altogether. It wasn't like so, Pulp Fiction, just an embarrassment of riches going through Anybody them. that had access to any sort of <laughs> outlet, I want to talk about this movie. Throw a paper airplane at the Rotten Tomatoes headquarters. Uh, I, I guess... <laughs> Fresh. Actually, to ra- wrap it up, th- there's this thing that, that was mentioned in a couple of the quotes. It's never bothered me, but I could see how it could bother some people, right? And it's the, the same thing that, like I said, they, they accuse Tarantino of, which is like, he's not an original filmmaker. All he's doing is reassembling work from past filmmakers. So with the Palma, it's a constant accusation of, well, he's just redoing Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, there's no... I'm sure Brian De Palma wouldn't say this, but it was one of those things of like, oh, it wasn't influenced by that. Some of those shots are like just... They could have wheeled Hitchcock out there, and he would have just done the exact same he thing. Was doing, he was running second unit. Yes, for, exactly. For <laughs> he was in the back, and De Palma would look at him for every shot, and he would... Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but does it bother you? Because it doesn't bother me, but I'm thinking that part of it might be that half the stuff that he's referencing or he's ripping off, uh, I, I don't know, or I'm not as familiar with, so it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. The same thing happens with Tarantino, you know, when people say, well, he's just doing this from this kung fu movie or this this action thriller from the 70s or whatever it's stuff that i haven't seen mm-hmm. so to me it feels fresh yeah. but if you've been around for a while or if you've watched these many movies i guess the repetition could just make you question well what's what's so good about this it could but, it's bothered me about some movies and not about others uh so you know it's definitely eyes in the or what is it beauties in the eye of the beer holder so um <laughs> it, uh, it definitely didn't bother me in this one. Like I, I barely noticed. I, I could sense the tone, the style was Hitchcockian, as they say. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you, oh, this frame or this shot is from this movie and this movie. Yeah. And, uh, so. Uh, and th- there's a difference between blatantly ripping someone off and using uh, your canvas to like paint an homage to somebody. Right. You're filtering it through your sensibility. I think I have a much higher level of patience for that than most and because I have watched pro wrestling my entire life <laughs> and seeing like people steal shit from each other as opposed to using it and like putting your own spin on it type of thing. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. And I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, too. I'm not going to act like I've seen every single thing that he's done, but like North by Northwest, Psycho, Memes for Murder, uh, Vertigo. Uh, yeah, big fan of all that stuff. And here... I'm trying to think of other examples of directors not copying, but I mean, that's, that's what we live for right now though with remakes. Cause we want to see the exact same shots that we had before and things like that. So yeah, uh, I, I honestly, as long as it feels, I guess, honest and not just an exercise in copying yeah. someone like that, that there's artistic Psycho, merit to what he's doing here as opposed to right. just like filming it bit for bit. Yeah, I'll be curious to watch the Antonioni movie and see exactly how much how much they link. Um, that that Psycho remake that Gus Van Sant did, what, a decade, two decades ago, remember? That it was shot by shot, but in color. It was Anne Heche and Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Yeah. yeah. William H. Macy. God bless. Now, that to me, I mean, that's kind of an experiment in fucking around. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm glad you have the money to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it. 
I don't know. It doesn't feel to me. I watched it, enjoyed it about as much as I would enjoy Psycho with a new cast. Yeah. But shot by shot. <laughs> I don't know. It, I I guess at this point, at least in my movie watching career, it doesn't bother me. No. When somebody brings it up in relation to any movie, it doesn't really feel like something that concerns me that much. It's never felt like, like an obstacle to enjoy a movie. Yeah, and obviously it's music, anything like that. Having obvious influence is not the same thing as blatantly ripping someone off. Yeah, and where are the boobs in Hitchcock's movies? No boobs. <laughs> Those would have given more uh, viewers strokes <laughs> and heart attacks. Oh dear. Uh, but yeah, excellent. So next stop will be Swordfish, which I have never seen. Oh, oh! As a young lad uh, that had Kazaa light, I had. A scene from Swordfish saved on my computer, uh, but I haven't seen the whole movie. So definitely an exciting uh, venture. And wasn't that the same year Halle Berry won the Oscar? She was also in Swordfish. Uh, she won the Oscar for Swordfish. <laughs> 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 I forgot that part. Uh, okay, so plugs as usual. We have the Festive Years that provide our opening and closing tracks, Last Stand in Summer of 99. Uh, from their album, Don't Let Me Use You. Uh, Hans Rothgieser from you. Nacion Combi, that Peruvian podcast that tells you everything about Peru in Spanish. Uh, he also he does logos, and he did our logo. So if you want to talk to him, either about his podcast or about logos or about anything else, uh, his Twitter is at Mildemonios, that's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, and his email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com. So uh, he speaks English. You can talk to him in English. His podcast is in Spanish, however. Uh, so we for, forewent plugs on the bonus episode, Saturday Night Fever. Uh, after we stopped recording, I talked with Julio about it already. But my plug for this episode, uh, <clears throat> I recently watched the Criterion Blu-ray of Fish Tank, and that movie is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it had also been a long time since I had seen a movie that was filmed in 4 to 3 ratio. And so that... That kind of threw me off for a second. I felt like I was on my PS2 watching DVDs back in the day. But uh, Fish Tank is a British film. Um, it was one of Fassbender kind of just took over the world really quick. So when I read it, it was only 09 or 2010 that it was made. I was thinking like, oh, this was like one of his first big roles. And then it was just fucking, you know, the snowball got colossal before you could stop it. Um, Fassbender is the only actor of that, you know, Jane and John Q viewer would know. Um, but he's yeah. not the main character. No. I mean, that's yeah. So I watched you, Fish Tank very recently too. Uh, it's a story of a young lady that's having a really hard time uh, with her life and finding herself through adolescence. And uh, Fossbender comes along. He's a grown man, and unfortunately makes some poor choices with her. And uh, it's yeah, it's putting it mildly. Yeah, so it's much like Saturday Night Fever. It's not something that I would describe as a whopping good time at the cinema. But, but there's some good dancing. Well. There's some dancing. There is. How do you feel about her dancing in the movie? I was talking to Eddie about it, and he was kind of underwhelmed by her dancing. And, and I was too, but I think that that's kind of the point. I, I'm in your camp. That's kind of the point, and it's uh, it's more about her confidence. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like her dancing becomes more fluid. It's She's not Michael Jackson by the end of the movie, but she has more confidence with it. And like especially the scene in the parking lot where like Fassbender and her are dancing together, it's... So oddly erotic that, like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh man, this is making me all kinds of uncomfortable. Uh, Did you feel like you wanted more of Fassbender dancing? Uh, yes. 
Much like when Ex Machina ended, the first thing I thought was, I want more of Oscar Isaac dancing. Uh, but yeah, Fossbender's got like the, the peacock move uh-huh. down and going, and, or the pigeon, as Joey Diaz calls it. Um, but yeah, just to, you know, we're laughing at it. It's not really a funny movie, but it's. No, so, it's, it's a rough watch. It's so well acted, and the story that it tells is told so well. Uh, it is a female director, so I thought that definitely gave it a good perspective. Um, you said 2009? 2009. I wonder yeah. what else, if, if that main girl did anything else, because she's really good in it. She is. I tried to read up on a, on her, and I don't think there was really anything else that, that followed up on it, so kind of a one-and-done type situation. Um, but yeah, Fish Tank, excellent movie. Go out of your way to find it and watch it. Uh, we're turning this into the Criterion podcast. It's, it's, that's funny that you say that, because my oh, plug... bring it home. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a... Uh, it's, it's a plug with with reservations, uh, and like I told you, that Aaron uh, Eckhart and Selma Hayek movie. It's not Selma Hayek. It's uh, it's Catherine, Catherine Zeta Jones. Jones. She dips beneath lasers. My bad. <laughs> uh, inspired by our our basic episode where I had to, as we recorded, I had to confess that I hadn't seen Rashomon. I just knew what it was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Literally, like, I think two days after the recording, I just went and bought Rashomon. <laughs> the Criterion sale was on, so I bought Rashomon and a couple other movies. And then it's only 90 minutes, so it was easy to find the time to watch it. And I sat down and, and watched the damn movie. And so, obviously, I need to rewatch it because my first experience of watching it is tainted by my expectations of what the movie was supposed to be, which mm-hmm. were 100% wrong. Uh which now makes me sound like a bit of an asshole in that episode, in basic. Because in the episode, I said that Rashomon, my understanding, was that it was a movie about how your experience can shape the truth when you're recounting it, mm-hmm. right? Which is not what happens in basic. No. <laughs> in basic, it's, it's people lying to, yeah. to save their necks and eventually the movie lying just to confuse the audience. Uh, so I always thought that Rashomon was... Oh, this horrible things happen. This horrible thing happens, and there's witnesses to it. And when you get the story from every witness, it's different. But they all believe that it's the truth because there's small things in their lives that shape how they perceive certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And that sounded like a really interesting movie to watch, to me. And so I, but when I watch it, it's not quite. It's it's not basic. But the three versions of the story that you get are wildly different. It's not that, oh, altogether they have some things in common that could be the truth. Mm-hmm. It's more like two out of the three, at least two out of the three are 100% lying. <laughs> so so the movie is more about like what makes you lie, which is also really interesting. Yeah. You know, because the lie that you tell so, so, says a lot about you. Mm-hmm. So it's a different kind of character exploration. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a way, you know, you could also even go further and say the lie that you tell yourself. So... It's a good movie. It has those things that I, I usually, with some some uh, Asian cinema, I have problems with the performances sometimes. You know how they can be like really over the top? Yeah. And uh, there's some Korean movies that I I know everybody loves and I just can't get into them. Old because boy. Excellent example. <laughs> the Spike Lee old boy wins for me just on the Whoa. just just because of the the pitch of those performances and yes i know that uh our boy from district 9 is in it hamming it Shirato up Sharato Copley yeah but Sharato Copley at 11 has nothing on on just how overacted the entire original old boy is so 
there is a character in Rashomon that's pitched at a very like high, high level, yeah. And so that that was a little hard to take, but overall, it's it's a really it's an interesting movie. It's still I love that gimmick, the gimmick of just give me three different versions of the same story. I'm all for it, um, and I think that rewatching it now, knowing where it's going, yeah. would help me appreciate it more. It's always an interesting experience when you watch a movie and you went in thinking it was going to be one thing and then you're kind of left deflated when it wasn't that mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've told on here before, but you know I've talked about it. Warrior. The first time I watched Warrior, I was like, that sucked. Because I just went into it with like a mindset of like it's a fighting movie. And then I watched it again with more of an open expectation. I was like, oh, this movie's fucking amazing. You're like, what's all this sappy shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why is Nick Nolte got marbles in his mouth the whole movie? <laughs> is Nick Nolte going to get in the ring or what? <laughs> Holy shit, he was nominated for an Oscar for that. For Best Supporting Actor. Excellent. Well, this was just a three-way criterion parade (laughs) that we had here today. So, uh, do you have anything else for this episode? No, that's it. That's it. Excellent. I just wasted my other plug on the the Saturday Night Fever episode. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) Haven't had time to watch anything else. All right, well, we're winding down here the summer of Travolta. We're breaking into the month of August. Uh, We still have some sweltering heat to get through, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, In the meantime, that was Blowout. Uh, This has been The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And as always, we appreciate you listening. Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful.